very welcome along. It's the gardening programme here on Midwest Radio. Saturday morning, we're into October, Pari. Good sure morning are. to you. And it's uh, lovely and mild. It's um, 20 degrees. Breeze, Did you yeah, just hear that? Uh, it's a little out of the ordinary for this time of year, I think, oh, is it? It's so mild and we've had no frost and people will see it in their gardens. I mean, the, you know, the trees are still full of leaf and the bedding plants are still flowering and hanging baskets are still showing some colour and plants are actually still physically growing. You'll see it in your lawns. Uh, you know, if you mowed your lawn a, a week or 10 mm-hmm. days ago, it's so in it, 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 it's cutting again. Mm-hmm. But, but I suppose on the other side, things are very, very wet. Soil conditions are extremely wet. So my advice is kind of stay off the lawns and, and I suppose stay off the, the soil at the moment. It, it is excessively wet at the moment. It's very hard to dig or do anything with. So we need a few dry days and probably a bit of frosty weather to help to dry things up. Okay. That's what I'd like to see coming now, a bit oh, of cold, uh, frosty, Hang on dry for another weather. week or two if you yeah, don't mind. But it yeah. is going to be very mild and, and I suppose there the, the uh, that's what we're seeing at the moment. Uh, climate change, huh? I was at the uh, Climate Fest actually last Saturday. So do tell. Well, first of all, a, a million thanks to all the people that turned up. Over 300 people came to the Climate Fest uh, last weekend in the GMIT and they had various workshops and various speakers, everything to do with, I suppose, from recycling to fashion uh, to, you know, just the whole area of, clim- of climate and climate change. And um, what I suppose what I looked at, what I learned from it, my talk was very much about um, what we could do in your garden and in your own lifestyle. And I suppose what, what I learned from it, that people were looking for, the, the, the typical audience were the people like you and I that, that want to do something for climate, but don't want to change their life radically. Yes. But we want to get behind a flag or we want to get behind a something. Well, contribute in some capacity. That's it. And I think people were searching for that. This this thing of climate change, people feel that it's there's nothing that they can do specifically apart from maybe recycling some, some uh, household uh, waste and so on. And they were really looking for flags to stand behind and mm. um, so you know they were they were you know looking for information I suppose what small things so for example um, I had a, a family just before I, I started speaking a family came along a mother and her three daughters and she said to me what's this workshop about so I said it's about gardening and and she said well how long will it last for I said roughly about 30 minutes and she said oh my little girl the young little daughter yeah. maybe about six years old she says she'll never sit through it so I said to the young girl I said if you sit quiet I'll give you one of the apples from my garden because I had brought apples along Uh and uh, so during the talk I was the point I was making about apples and about fruit in general was that I went to our uh, local greengrocer and in the greengrocer I bought apples from New Zealand okay I bought apples from South Africa from France and Spain and I was I suppose relating apples to the food miles so New Zealand is 20,000 kilometres huge carbon footprint huge carbon footprint so I gave that apple to her mother and I gave the apple from my tree to to the little girl that was there and she really enjoyed it and ate, ate the apple during the talk and, and I referred to her a couple of times and asked her what, you know, how, how delicious was the apple. But the, the difference, the apples that I brought in travelled eight kilometres and the apples from New Zealand travelled 20,000 kilometres. South Africa is kind of, you know, somewhere around 15,000 kilometres. Mm. So we're importing fruit. I had blueberries there from Peru. Very far away. <laughs> A couple of long flights if you're ever going there. So my point to to the audience was that, look, in a small way, one of the flags they could stand behind is growing their own fruit. Because here in Ireland, we've got a fantastic climate for the growing of all fruit. Mm. And I referenced the Victorian Wall Garden in, in Dublin. 
Uh, but we've also some great gardens here in, in the west of Ireland that, that grow um, uh, great crops and great orchards and, and great fruit as well. But people in their own garden can actually grow their own fruit. And this is the time of year. This is the time we harvest apples. And it's sad to think that we're importing all of this fruit. Yeah. Because on one side, you've got people, health and well-being and fitness and fruit sales and vegetable sales have, have gone on the increase. So more people are consuming vegetables and fruit, which is fantastic. But we're fa- failing to grow it ourselves. And so the point was really about that people can actually do, there's one of the flags that people can get behind, either buy local fruit, so Keeling's fruit in Dublin, they yes. produce a huge amount of Irish fruit, um, and they're all the, also great other food producers here in Ireland, but also people can actually start growing a lot of that produce themselves. And we've got the perfect climate for yeah. that. The other the other reference, I don't know if I mentioned Boris Johnson last weekend. Did I, I tell you that story? Uh, no, you didn't tell the story. You said he, he featured in the talk, he did. I think is what you said. So yeah. I had a, a picture of Greta Thunberg and everybody knews, knows the story of Greta Thunberg yes. now. And, and so, uh, But I moved swiftly on to Boris Johnson and, and we don't associate <laughs> the environment with Boris Johnson necessarily. So people were kind of a bit shocked to see his, his face up on the screen. But uh, Boris Johnson uh, when he was the Lord Mayor in 2009 in London, in yeah. London he brought in a num- number of initiatives like he changed the, di- the old English diesel bus to a hybrid bus. He brought in the cycle lanes. He brought in the Coca-Cola uh, a rental bike scheme into London way before uh, it was fashionable here in Dublin. But one thing that, I, that resonated with me, he, he had this concept of reliefing London. Yeah. So R-E-L-E-A-F. ING, so relieving London. And his vision was, at the time in 2009, there were 7 million people in London. It's it's uh, reported that by 2025, there'll be close to 10 million. So his vision that he wanted a tree planted for every Londoner. And he, he got all the local woodland groups and conservative groups and, and, and conservation groups, I should say, together to actually drive this initiative on. He got businesses involved, he got volunteers involved. And he set this movement when he was Lord Mayor to relief London. He was very, very successful yeah. in actually getting the, the Londoners to plant broadleaf trees. And he made it very personal. So he, he had this concept that if there's going to be 10 million of us, let's have one tree for every Londoner. Okay, so people are invested in their own tree, which is absolutely true. Absolutely. And and when it came to the felling of trees for redevelopment, yeah. people the Londoners started questioning, well, whose tree is that that we're actually going to be knocking? <laughs> he also linked the planting of trees to new development. So if there was a site being built or a, an apartment scheme, that trees had to be formed part of that. So he was actually very visionary. Yes. And, and so much so that they voted him in for a second term. And when Londoners were asked why they they love Boris, it was because of his fun and he's eccentric. Yeah, and actually now so, that I think about it, the bikes are actually referred to as Boris bikes because uh, yes, yeah, I'm on them myself and it's only when you say that now that I kind of think, oh yeah. yeah so yeah. he so he, he was probably somebody that was promoted to incumbency. <laughs> he should have stared as Lord Mayor because he actually did some really good things. And I thought that simple idea of linking the trees to, the, to people and here in Ireland, if we could encourage people to plant trees mm. in their gardens, um, we have four million people. If we could plant a tree every year, you know, it would do so much to our carbon footprint. So they were the type of things I was speaking about, giving people simple examples of things that they can do in their own lives. So planting trees would be certainly one. Um, planting fruit and vegetables. And, you know, we talked about the veggie pod and raised beds and easy ways that kids could get involved. And, and I presented that concept that, um, you know, the child that grows a strawberry will eat a strawberry. Yeah. So we can get our children interested. And it was just lovely to see the young girl. I was very impressed that she actually ate the apple because, okay. you know, many young kids I won't know. do that. So 
it, it was actually it was if it was staged <laughs> I couldn't but, but it, it wasn't, wasn't no, I couldn't ask for better um, so it, it was just a very interesting uh uh, Saturday afternoon and I think most people that were there were there they weren't activists they weren't on the left or the right of climate change they were very much coming down the centre thinking about well, what can we do so this climate this uh, climate change is very much like the elephant and if each piece it, person takes yeah. a piece of it then we, we can cer- certainly do something behind it so um, so that was really the message and interestingly this uh, Tuesday now I'm down I'm heading down to Linebridge in Ballina, so I'm, okay. I'm going to speak to the guys there about health and well-being okay. and bringing in the climate, climate. side as well. So uh, they've invited me down to but talk to them. gardening from a therapeutic point of view is All of that. You know, extraordinary beneficial. Absolutely. And, and introducing um, plants into their office environments is one of the things. NASA, the air aerospace um, organisation, they did great research on bringing plants to the space and what, what plants in, in orbit would increase the level of oxygen for the astronauts. So we're going to be talking a little bit about that and, and you know again I'm going to be kind of sowing the seeds for the Lion Bridge team of what they can do in their own lives but also in their office environment to improve their climate and their surroundings and hopefully their, their well-being. Their well-being in general. So, so yeah. they're, the, they're the sort of thing. So I thought we might touch on just today just before we get to the questions it is a great time of year autumn is the time for planting trees yeah. and, and here in Ireland we have just a fantastic um, environment for the growing of trees. Unfortunately, we only have 10% of our landmass is covered in trees in Ireland. On average in Europe, you know, you play, take place like Germany, mm. um, you take m- most European countries have 40% of their landmass planted. Okay, so that's a huge difference. It's a huge, huge difference. And unfortunately in Ireland, out of that 10%, 8% is planted by Sitka spruce, which come to us from North America, and from Canada. And that's bugbear I think uh, in Ireland in general about the the choice of trees that we It plant. is and and whilst Sitka spruce which is is planted by the forestry it is it is a cash crop it's grown for um for for the manufacture of pallets and it's a softwood timber uh, but if you walk into a Sitka spruce forest and a conifer forest it's 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 dead mm. there's hardly you you won't hear any wildlife you'll have no growth underneath the trees so really you know the planting of broadleaf trees native irish trees we mentioned hazel last week but things like holly and uh, the strawberry tree and um, you know the oaks the single flowering cherries poplars willows they're all our native Irish trees the planting of those or indeed if people just planted trees in their garden doesn't really matter where they come from plants like liquid amber now will be giving beautiful autumnal colour at this time of year Um, but they they say that a tree in its lifetime absorbs a tonne of carbon so one ton of carbon is taken out of the atmosphere by a standard tree, be it a lime tree or a chestnut tree or a beech tree or whatever. So over its life period of forty years, it's going to absorb that element. Um, so in theory, we can we can offset our our. Uh, our, holiday, car- yeah, our carbon yeah. footprint or certainly our, our, our um, flying miles or our, our driven miles by the planting of trees and autumn has always been the time to plant so if people are interested in planting trees in the garden then this is the time of year coming into October, November now I did say the soil conditions are very wet so don't plant a tree today but maybe over the next couple of weeks it's something to think about we're coming into that time of year for planting trees and generally trees when you purchase them you'll get them about six or seven feet. So they look something substantial and, and they're offering both foliage and flower and berry th- this coming 
spring and summer. So by planting a tree over the autumn, you're going to have something of beauty from next year on. And many of our trees are bee friendly as well. So if you want to do something for biodiversity, particularly select trees that have single flowers like the Malus family, the Cotoneaster family, the Sorbus family. Willows are brilliant for bees as well. Um, hazel is good for the pollen of, of bees, particularly in the early part of the year. So there are lots, lots of bee-friendly uh, lime trees, for example, are brilliant for bees as well. And the lime makes a beautiful tree and makes a lovely honey as well. So uh, the planting of trees really, I suppose, that's, that's really my point. If we can, we do say that four trees equal an acre of wildflower meadow. It's hard to believe, isn't it, that four, four single trees... How, how, how does that translate now? Sorry, how does four trees <clears throat> equal an acre of wildflower meadow? So if you meadow? take a, a tilia tree, a lime tree, um, and you might remember... Are we th- talking in terms of pollen and... Uh, in terms of pollen oh, and nectar, yeah. The equal, the, 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 the equivalent uh, production of flower, nectar and pollen as an acre of wildflower meadow. So four single trees in the garden or four single trees in an area can, particularly if you pick trees like sycamore or lime trees that are brilliant for, uh, for our bees. They'll produce as much nectar. flower and nectar as. So when I visited, um, you might remember last year, I went to see the, uh, up in the OPW, I went to see Michael D's beehive, yes. 17 beehives in the Phoenix Park. And uh, right beside where they have the apiary, are, there's a whole avenue of lime trees planted. And the bees lift, literally have to fly up to the tree and come back, back down. Time. So they fill the supers with honey within weeks which would normally take them, you know, to take them. Because they don't have any big travelling to they're do. They're literally, it's a couple of minutes. They're up and down, up and down, up and down. So um, so lime trees are absolutely superb as well. So four trees equals an acre of wildflower meadows. So that's some, maybe something that's to keep... That's a very interesting statistic. So look, this is the time of year anyway for planting trees, trees. in the garden. And, and there's such a wide variety okay, to well, choose from. I kind of see quite a few tree questions as ah, it so happens. There you go. First up, mountain ash tree. Birds are eating berries. Are there different types of mountain ash trees? Yes, there are. So you've got the ordinary sor- sorbus or acuparia, which tends to grow wild in mountainous regions. Um, it's got the lovely red berries at the moment and the birds, the thrushes and the blackbirds absolutely relish them. But there are more ornamental varieties as well. There's a variety called Joseph Rock, which has got yellow berries. Mm-hmm. And Joseph Rock is actually quite a nice variety because it's got lovely autumn colour as well. So it's got the orange and, and reds and the leaf colour. So they change from green to orange and red. And then you get these bright yellow berries and the birds dislike that particular variety so the berries tend to stay on longer um, there are different varieties of both red and orange so there's a variety called Camixta um, so there's there's loads of different there's a, a white variety called Vilmariana which produces snow white berries and again the birds dislike those as well so they tend to go for the the red bright Sorbus acuparia the common uh, gardener uh, mountain ash uh, but there are lots of other varieties again and again mountain ash is th- there's a great example of a tree that flowers in springtime the bees absolutely love it it feeds the wildlife for the winter it's really hardy so simple to grow it doesn't make a tall tree it'll only grow about 15 or 16 16 feet in height so it's very manageable for any garden and there are lots and lots of different varieties of them. The other variety is one called Sorbus aria which is is called white beam and it's got these lovely silver foliage in the springtime, spring early summer and um, white flowers and red berries as well. So there's lots of different varieties. Sounds fab. Now would I need two hazel trees to get one to fruit asks Denise. Not necessarily Denise. The, the hazelnuts are wind pollinated so they produce their catkins in early springtime and they're the male flowers. So the male flowers are these catkins um, Mm-hmm. yellowish in colour and the female flowers are, are a yellowish 
coloration and tend to be lower down on the tree. So as the wind rocks the tree, as it were, the pollen falls down onto the female flowers. Now, having said that, all fruiting plants where you have a partner things get a little bit more interesting and you get more fruit. Okay. So my (laughs) advice is to plant a cluster of hazelnuts together. You can also get cob nuts, which are slightly bigger. They're larger fruiting. What are they called? They're called cob, C-O-B-N-U-T-S, cob nuts. Right, never never heard of them. Yeah, they're slightly larger, more rounded hazelnut and um, they're exactly in the same family, just a, a slightly different variety. So you can get different varieties of hazelnut. But my advice is if you're planting them in your garden, Put in maybe five or six different varieties, let them cross-pollinate, you'd always get a heavier crop. Do hazelnuts grow big at trees? Well, you, well, you can let them grow to whatever... If you if you never pruned a hazelnut, it would yeah. grow 15, 16 feet. You know, you'll have okay, to... Well, you won't okay. reach to the fruit. Do you not remember as a child going for hazelnuts? You see, I, no, I actually never did. Ah. Uh, now, blackberries and mushrooms and those kind of things, yes. But for some reason, I don't know, maybe where we lived there was no hazelnuts, but I have a friend who is the biggest advocate of the hazelnut oh, tree and to going to collect hazelnuts yeah. in the autumn. Yeah. Um, so... They tend to be, uh, it can be out of reach because they're, you know, Maybe eight, that's part nine, of my ten. difficulty because I'm not the tallest <laughs> person in the world. People but you know can, me. You can keep them pruned back. Yeah. You can keep them okay. short and prune them back and manage them as you would a blackcurrant or, or gooseberry or, or whatever. So you can actually grow them as, as bushes, as it were, or you can let them grow into trees. They tend to be in, in hedgerows. You'll find right, them in they're hedgerows. They're kind of mixed yeah. in with yeah, yeah. the other... I, I was in Wales, uh, cycling in Wales in August this year, mm. and uh, I was doing the back lanes mainly, and the amount of hazelnuts that were falling on the ground, um, you know, Fabulous. the amount of punctures yeah. I got oh, because gosh, of the hazelnuts. Right, okay. But it was just, it just amazed up these little lanes and, and the, the fruit falling in kind of August, September. So yeah, they're, they're easy to grow. You, you don't necessarily uh, need a, a partner for, for with hazelnuts. They are self-fertile. But it does help. It does help. And that really applies to all fruit. Even where you see an apple that's self-fertile, you're better to get a cross-pollinator because you just, you double X or three X the amount of fruit you're going to get from the plant. Lovely. Now, I have, spin- span- I have spinach Swiss chard, apologies, okay. wow. and winter density lettuce in my raised bed. Great. How long more will they grow for and when to plant something else for winter and spring. Well, they, they should continue to grow for the winter unless we get really, really hard frost. Spinach, um, you'll generally pick it up to Christmas. Um, same with Swiss, Swiss chard. Swiss chard is quite good because you can use the midribs like celery and you mm. can use the larger leaves then like a spinach. Um, and winter density lettuce is actually a winter hardy variety so that should be perfectly fine. My advice really is just to keep peeling the outer leaves on all of them and they'll keep throwing up New grow, particularly with the sort of temperatures we're ha- having at the moment. It wouldn't surprise me you'll, you'll pick right through the, the winter and into spring of next year. At this time of year you can also plant things like garlic, Japanese onion sets are still fine for sowing. Um, Sultans do a very good range of speedy veg. They could still be sown now um, and you cut them when they're quite small. So um, all of those can be, can be yeah. Uh, yeah. It would be fine. Now, I took your advice and tried some hydrangea fuchsia and butterfly bush cuttings in August. All have rooted. Cannot believe my luck. What to do next, please? Brilliant. Well, that's good. So it's August, so that's Hmm. nearly two months ago. So um, look at that. They'll be well rooted this time of year. Lift them out of the uh, wherever you've rooted them in the soil or in the compost and put them into individual small pots. Um, You know, small, tiny little pots will suffice in a multi-purpose compost, maybe a John Ennis type compost. Um, All of those cuttings are perfectly hardy out of doors for the winter. They're all deciduous so they are going to shed their leaves once we go into November. Try to place them in a sheltered spot. If you had a little co- outside coal frame, mm. if you had a greenhouse or tunnel would be the ideal scenario. Maybe a windowsill in a 
in a bright garage would be good as well. So you could give them semi-protection for the winter because they're still quite small. Um, so or, or just get yourself an outdoor cloche, slip them in there for the winter, keep an eye that they don't get bone dry at any stage and then put them out into the garden soil next spring. Uh, hydrangeas, uh, what was it? Butterfly, butterfly bush. bush. And, sorry, and fuchsia, and fuchsia yes. They're all very, very fast growing. So by this time next year, they'll have made quite strong plants. Excellent. Now, uh, could you ask, Porek, what trees would you recommend for shelter? I live on an elevated site open to the west winds okay. uh, from Sean. Okay, well, the thing to remember, Sean, is that when in, in terms of, of, of um, wind protection, what you're trying to do is slow down the wind. You're not trying to stop it. So where we put up block walls or we put up uh, coniferous-type uh, hedging, you tend to get this effect where the wind comes up and comes down over the hedge and ac- accelerates as it's coming down the far side of the hedge. So it's always better to filter the wind through. So my advice is to put in a couple of rows of broadleaf trees. So I'd be thinking of plants like um, the, the sorbus, that white beam that I mentioned is, is really hardy. Alder is brilliant in windy areas. Birch, silver birch, and there are many different forms of silver birch. They would all work really well together. Scots pine, if you wanted just something a little bit different, Scots pine is a native Irish conifer and tolerates the wind really well. Now, it does make a big tree, so you need a relatively large garden, whereas the, the mountain ash, the sorbus aria, um, what else did I mention there? Hawthorn would be good. Blackthorn would be good. Any of those, they're all really tough, really hardy. Mm. They'll make a kind of a hedgerow for you and they'll filter the wind rather than stopping it. And that's really what you want. And all of those will work together. You can plant them quite close together, maybe six feet apart, and then double space them. So have two or three rows and have them planted in a kind of a staggered position so they form an overall dense uh, uh, foliage for you. If you want to hedge, say, up to six feet, maybe seven feet, you could consider a hedge like Iliagnus, which may, which is an evergreen tough hedge that we sell a lot for seaside areas because it tolerates the westerly wind extremely well. Now, uh, where can I get green manure and what exactly is it? Okay. Do you know? Well, it's the Phacelia. It is it? one of them, yeah. yeah. So, so it's 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 kind of a plant. I'll drink my tea you you're can, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I thought it was a qu- quiz for me, Vorek. <laughs> well, Phacelia and other plants. Yeah. yeah. So green manures are, are, I suppose, people are trying to get away from the artificial 10, 10, 20s and, you know, the, the standard agricultural fertilisers. So green manures are literally living plants. So uh, they're green in nature. They grow. You sow them from seed. They germinate. They grow. And you dig them back into the soil. And they tend to have the ability to try trap a lot of nutrition like nitrogen and they release that back into the soil as you dig them back back in. They're brilliant for if you've got wasteland in your garden or you've got an area say that you grew potatoes and you don't want to grow anything for the winter and you just want to keep it clean of weeds and you want to grow something on it then green manures are the perfect example. So a lot of the organic growers would use um, green manures to give the ground a bit of a rest and to add nutrition back into the soil. So Facelia is a great example um, and the nice thing about Facelia is that the bees absolutely love it, the, bur- the butterflies love it, it's a beautiful plant when it's in flower and then you dig it back into the soil and it adds lots of nutrition into which you plant your vegetables for the following year. And this is the time of year. So things like red clover, white clover, phacelia, there's some of the lupin varieties as well. If you go to your local garden centre and ask for green manure, they'll have little sachets of it. You rake your soil, you chuck it on. Within two to three weeks, it'll have germinated and it provides this cover of foliage over the ridge which stops weeds from growing. And then in the spring, you dig it back into the soil and you start planting away again. 
So it gives your, your, your um, it's like a tonic for the soil. It's an organic tonic for your soil. Um, so it's, it's really good. And it's also very beneficial for things like clover are very beneficial for bees as well. Now, is it possible to get blue roses to plant in the garden? I don't want a variety of purple, um, but I can't locate any blue ones. Yeah, and, and look at uh, what, what exactly is the colour of blue. I mean, there are varieties like blue moon, which is... You know, it's kind of it's blue. It's, it's blue and indigo yeah, kind they, of color. They, they tend to be quite a bluish color in bud when the flower is intense, and then as it opens out, it kind of goes to a a washy shade of blue or a lilac sort of color. Oh, okay. So you won't get, uh, you know, it's a bit like the black. Is there a black a plant a flower with a black uh, color? And some of them are bordering on black, but they're really deep purples. But look at there are varieties like blue girl, blue moon, blue Nile, and um, they're all popular varieties. That um, rhapsody in blue is probably one of my oh, favorites. Like no, it's not exactly you know that that um, sky blue, but it's it's more a purpley blue. But it's a beautiful variety of rose, highly scented. And um, it's a it's a semi double variety, which means um, it's got lots and lots of flowers on the one. Side stem and again you can see the little pollen in the centre so that's one called Rhapsody in Blue, Blue Moon, Blue Girl, um, China Blue, they're all kind of bluish varieties so it's it depends on your interpretation of blue. Of blue. Of blue. Okay. But blue moon is probably the best known of all the varieties. Now I have dogwood, can I trim it back now? Well the thing with dogwood <clears throat> Dogwood is grown for, it's in the cornice, it's cornice variety, and it's grown for its lovely bark. So at this time of year, it's got either red or yellow or um, orange stems, depending on the variety. So there's a lovely variety called Cornus Midwinter Fire, which has got bright orange stems. So you're enjoying the colour of the stems at this time of year. So if we prune them now, then you don't have that colour. So normally the dogwoods are left over until they're coming into leaf in March. So you enjoy this, the colour of the stems through the winter. And then as we come into the spring, before it comes into full growth, you cut them back. Having said all that, if you want to cut them now, you certainly can. Um, but my advice really, if they're if they're showing lots of red colour, leave them alone until March, prune them heavily then, right down within two or three inches from soil level, give them a feed and you've got that you got lots of young red new growth for the following year. So my advice really is leave them till springtime, cut them back severely and then um, give them a feed. And, and that's really the, the annual pruning for dogwoods. Now, somebody says they had dinner recently in a high-end restaurant. Oh. Lucky you. <laughs> that wasn't you or me. And they were served microgreens and micro-veg. Are these easy to grow and oh. do I need a heated greenhouse? Great question. It's a good question. Well, all you need is a windowsill to grow the microgreens. So what are microgreens? My, and so you see this in... in um, it's kind it's of what, art. It's kind ma- of ma- making the place look Michelin, artistic. Michelin yeah. star type stuff, yeah. isn't it? So, so simple things like, for example, broccoli. Broccoli would be seen as a microgreen. So what you're eating with, with microgreens are the young shoots. So the seed is sown, it's let, left to grow for about three or four weeks and then it's harvested. And the idea is that the flavour is more intense in the young seedling growth. So when you when you taste it, you get this really strong taste of broccoli or, or whatever. So all, all seeds can be grown as microgreens. So all you need is literally a windowsill, a seed tray, sow the seed onto the, onto the compost, cover it with cling film, allow them to germinate. And once they germinate, take the cling film off, leave them for about three or four days and then cut the top off the, or three or four weeks. Hmm. So allow them to grow until they're about inch, inch and a half, maybe two inches. And then they, you've got yourself microgreens and along with your scissors and just give them a trim. And, they, and you hardly cook them. They're often served raw mm-hmm. or you can sl- slightly steam them 
you know, just to, just to, just to blanch them, and 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 that that's effectively my micro green. So you can use a seed tray. Um, the wheatgrass is often grown that way. You know, the wheatgrass yes, are used for juicing. Trays, yeah. yeah. So again, it's the same thing. You're growing the wheat when it's about three or four inches high. You trim it and you juice it and you take it. And, and lots of the microgreens, some of them will actually regrow again, like kale. If you trim it, it'll actually regrow again. And so that's what microgreens are. Micro veg as well are kind of baby carrots, baby corn. So it's these kind of, you know, um, vegetables in a very miniature style. Yeah, right, and yeah. there are some varieties that, that you can get that for those get as, for well. Those yeah. as well. well. But at this time of year, the microgreens would be, if you had a warm windowsill inside, It'd you'd have the them job. up in a couple of weeks. Yeah. You just probably would have to grow a lot of them, would you? For volume well, purposes. In, of course, in, they're not about volume really, are no, they? No, they're not, no. exactly. Yeah, it's yeah, a small yeah, tasting. Yeah, and within yeah. a seed tray, I mean, you grow a lot. A lot in, in one seed tray, yeah. okay. microgreens. Kiwi plants, of course, yeah. is a very interesting one. I didn't think people would grow kiwis in Ireland, but of course, I suppose you can grow anything when you have a polydunnel, which this person has. And they're wondering, when can I cut it back and do I cut it back hard? Well, the kiwis grow like like a vine, like a like a grapevine. Okay. So they're quite light stems um, and you need to train them out in a trellis or a frame in yeah. the greenhouse. Otherwise, they become a bit of a mess and they kind of go all over the place. Um, so you, you tie them back into the frame. At this time of year, any fruit would have been taken off them. You tie in the branches, keep them nice and neat, and you prune back the ends of the kiwi plants by about two to three feet and you shorten back the side stems very much like a climbing rose it's the same sort of principle so you end you end up with the, the stems of the kiwi plant uh tied into the any wires that's supporting it and all the side branches pruned back to within an inch of the main stem and you shorten back the, the, the leaders or the top of the branches by about two to three feet as well. They do very well in Ireland, particularly if you've got a, a tunnel greenhouse and there's a variety called Jenny that's self-fertile. So you only need the one variety um, with the kiwis. Okay. Yeah, it's all the way from New Zealand to Australia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So... Uh, I have a wet lawn but would like to plant some trees for shelter and to block a view. Are there any trees that like wet ground? There are. um, Not so many but there are a few. So willow for example and there's a lovely willow variety called albatristus that makes a very very large tree. So if you want to block a view or block a vista or um, a a neighbouring window or something uh, look for that tree. So it's it's Salix albatristus. It's the weeping willow. It's a large variety. It'll grow 20 feet in height. It'll grow 20 feet in width. Mm. Fantastic for drying up an area. And it's got this beautiful weeping habit. It looks brilliant beside lakes or rivers or ponds. You know, it looks just, you know, it'll it'll kind of semi-cascade over those. Um, So that would be one that's really good. Alders do well in wet ground as well. Um, So alders kind of tolerate wet conditions extremely well but to be honest the willows are probably willows and alders are, are two of the very best for, for, for really wet wet soil yeah they do very well now we have somebody who's sown their lawn on the 1st of June of this year it's been doing really well up okay. to lately but Good. it has turned a bit yellow what feed would you think they should give us well lawns should get an autumn feed at this time of year so um, just get yourself go into your local garden centre you can either put on the Osmo um, Osmo autumn feed which again will green it up without making it grow so it gives it a lovely green colour for the winter without actually making it physically grow um, and that will hold its colour then well into the spring of next year but all all, uh, lawns will benefit from a little bit of autumn lawn feed so the low nitrogen high in potassium and phosphorus and uh, the nitrogen element is kind of slowly released over the winter period the other thing I would uh, remind people is do get the zero on if they get a bit of dry weather because moss is going to be a problem this year in lawns so if you get an opportunity get some zero on the next couple of dry days 
Now, this is quite a long text, so I'll try and abbreviate it a small bit, but essentially it's to do with a camellia bought about four years ago, kept in a pot, um, and while it hasn't died, it hasn't really grown all that much in terms of leaves or flowers, so uh, it has been planted out into the ground a few weeks ago. It's been given a feed of the specialist azalea camellia feed uh, that you've recommended in the past, um, and wondering now, is there anything else we can do to help it along? It's the only plant I've ever bought that isn't thriving. Everything else in the garden has come on great and I'm determined to help her along. Any advice? (laughs) Her in inverted commas, so thank you to point that out. Well, look at the committee. You've done everything. You've taken all the advice and obviously listened to the advice very well. So camellias need that lime-free soil. So you put down the compost, you put down the, the feed with them and we do feed Uh, camellias in the autumn to help the initiation of flower buds for the following spring. So look, my advice now is just leave it alone, sit back, you've done everything you can with it. Camellias do like to be in a relatively sheltered spot um, out of kind of, out of direct sunlight, so generally east facing or west facing locations are the ideal spot for for them and as long as it's located out of kind of cold winds then it should do perfectly fine. It'll, over the winter, plants actually do a lot of rooting so that's why autumn was always the traditional time for kind of moving plants or transplanting plants or planting new plants because the roots initiate and keep growing right through the winter period, even though there's no stem growth. So the listener's done everything correct. Compliment them on it. Planning Give us a call in, 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 in March. In, in March and see, tell see us how, how well how it's how doing. It's flowering. Yeah, yeah, hopefully, yeah. hopefully you'll have lots of good flowers. Yeah, it'll settle in. Now, uh, wondering what to do with an umbrella plant. All the leaves are falling off it. Can I feed it? <clears throat> Well, I try and find out why all the leaves and, and I suppose the difficult part is that overwatering and underwatering can, can resemble the same thing with plants. The leaves tend to droop and tend to fall when you when you do both things. Um, umbrella trees, we had that, we had a question actually on umbrellas last week. We and did. They, are, they are quite a vigorous indoor plant. They do need repotting kind of every 18 months because of their vigour. So it may be a question that the, it's in the pot too long and you may need to kind of trim it back repot it and um, give it more space now repotting doesn't always mean that you put them into a bigger pot you can actually repot back into the same pot by just lifting it out taking off excessive compost shaking off some of the compost that might be there right. and then getting yourself a, a, a new bag of compost and actually replanting the plant back into the original pot adding a little bit of slow release fertilizer in as well would be a good idea um, it sounds to me like the umbrella is hungry maybe if the listener could take a picture of it and send, send it by in. whatsapp we'd have a look at it next week and I yeah. can have a give it a, a, a better diagnosis but it just sounds to me like it's a little bit hungry and possibly in the pot too long and um, remember with most houseplants you're reducing the amount of water they're getting at this time of year because the light levels are going down so you shouldn't be watering houseplants more than every two weeks possibly once a month at this right. time of year depending on the size of pots you're in um, move them away kind of from radiators if you're putting on the heat uh, move them away from those areas so kind of cooler areas of the house and reducing the water levels and, and stop feeding for the winter because the plants don't actually need any feed through the winter months Now can you also staying with houseplants for a moment peace lily problem here um, can you let me know uh, what to do with my peace lily lots of green leaves but no flowers it's three years old Oh, and it has never flowered in the three years, well, obviously. Yeah, that's what I'm getting there. It's unusual mm. because they are they are actually quite easy to grow peace lilies. Now they they do like to be in relative uh, sunlight, so you need to have them in a reasonably bright bright spot. And the other thing to help them to flower is to use a a next spring now, starting in March of next year, to use a high potash feed, a rose feed, uh, or a tomato feed. Actually, I should say a liquid tomato feed would be perfect, or the um, Osmo Universal feed. It's high in potassium, and that helps. 
um, peace lilies. If you're if you're repotting plants too often, if you're giving them too much space, they tend to do a lot of leafy growth as well. So repotting every year, particularly for something like a peace lily, can um, just encourage growth at the expense of flower. So, but look at I think reduce the watering on it. Make sure it's in a well lit spot, and then start feeding it next spring with a, pot, a potassium feed, a, a um, liquid feed, a tomato feed, I should say, is is perfect for it. Now, how do we look after Helioborus plants? They will they flower every year? Do they need feeding? Will they grow in pots? They seem to have large roots. Oh. Right. So, well, Heliborus, first of all, is, is the Christmas rose, or it's often called the Easter rose as well, because the Heliborus come into flower re- anytime from now right through until April of next year. They're absolutely... A, a, I love them. I oh, think they're, they're gorgeous. Yeah. Plant. And they come in a whole range of different colours. And they've got single flowers. And because they're flowering through the winter, the flowers tend to stay on the plant for a very, very long uh, period. And there's a, a lovely variety called Christmas Cheer, which is a lovely white variety of um, Heliborus and flowers right through the Christmas period. So, they're first of all, they're outdoor. Um, the only care they really need is once they finish flowering in the spring, you trim them back and you tide them back and you give them a feed at that time of year because mm-hmm. you build them up during the summer so that they flower in the winter. Um, they do well in pots, so if you want to put them into pots, they'll work perfectly fine as well. Um, and that's it, really it. I mean, they're a trouble-free, easy-to-grow plant. Most varieties grow about, I suppose... 15 to 18 inches mm-hmm. maybe 2 feet in, in, in height they look well if you plant them in clusters in 3s or 5s or 7s kind of a clustered effect I often use uh, spring bulbs underneath them because the hellebore is flowering through the winter yeah. spring and then you've got the daffodils or Lovely. the bluebells coming through those in the in the spring in the spring and early summer sort of period but look at they're a no nonsense easy to grow plant um, the roots aren't overly uh, vigorous in, yeah. um, they tend to be a bit fleshy but they're perfect in pots obviously get a reasonable a pot that's maybe uh, a foot and a half in diameter so a reasonable mm. size pot because it's going to live there for quite a number of years and would they work well in with uh, you know other plants in say a, a flower bed as such yeah so you can, they're brilliant under planted if you plant say if you've got birch trees for example yeah. which are lovely in the winter but are deciduous heliborus planted around the base of those give kind of a ground covering effect under trees so they're very good in woodland areas they'll tolerate shade and they're good under trees uh, you know they tend to be relatively low so a foot and a half to two feet so they need to be kind of at the front, front. of a border yeah. or in under our trees that work really well yeah. they grow on banks and slopes they're a very versatile plant and they come in so many different colours mainly shades of whites uh, pinks and purples yeah. are the kind of predominant colours with them and then plant some spring bulbs underneath those so that you've got those the bulbs you've coming up and mix. kind of taking over Lovely. from the heliborus so um, yeah really nice plant and this is a great time to plant heliborus in your garden. Now, uh, white hydrangea said a few weeks ago, now it's turning pink, what to do? Maybe it's supposed to turn oh, pink. Oh, it does, yeah. Any of the varieties like Bobo or Phantom or Annabelle, even Annabelle turns a shade of pink. Um, some varieties like Vanilla Freeze, kind of that, that, that's their habit, they, they change anyway. But most white flowering hydrangeas have a tinge of pink as the flower matures and particularly as the temperature gets a bit cooler. So everything is perfect your hydrangeas are doing really well that's exactly what to expect you'll probably get another two weeks or three weeks of flowering from them so once we get into November that's the time then you can think about tidying them back a little bit I would guess that these are um, 
the paniculata family, but there are white um, macrophilia, uh, the big flowering hydrangeas as well. So it depends. If it's kind of a cone-shaped flower, then that's a paniculata variety, and that can be pruned then heavily next spring. So really just tidy it up in November, cut back the old flowers, leave it alone for the winter, and then come the spring, give it a good hard trimming back, give it a feed, and it'll be back. They're brilliant. They're lovely. They lovely are. Variety we're, we're, we're big fans. Yes. What, uh, what can we use to kill wild rhubarb? So this is gunnera, gunnera manicata, or, or the different varieties of gunnera. You'll see quite a lot of it down around um, Ackle, Mulrani, uh, you know, Newport, loads of it down down there. And, and it has become one of these invasive species. Of course, a plant that was brought in as a decorative plant back in the 1900s and, and escaped and, and has spread. Um, generally, brushwood killers, um, so what they're using traditionally to control, and it, and it is a, it's a bit like Japanese knotweed, it's a kind of a, a persistent treatment. You won't get rid of it in one year. You need to apply over two to three, maybe four years before you get rid of it. So brushwood killers tend to work well on them or anything with glyphosate, which is kind of in the Roundup family, um, you know, is effective if it's used on a regular basis. But... Um, that's the problem with uh, with gunrits. It's just one of these very invasive um, spreading Spreaders, yeah. uh, problems and you need to be on top of it and control it. I've set a eucalyptus tree last year. When do I prune it? When do you prune variegated laurel as well, asks Monica. Okay, well, um, so eucalyptus is an evergreen tree, beautiful tree and, and quite fast grown. And yes, you can trim it and the, the foliage is often used by florists because it, it lasts so long indoors. So you can do a little bit of trimming back over the winter period, but the main pruning with eucalyptus is springtime. So March, early April, uh, give it a light trimming back. You can take, you know, six, eight inches, maybe 12 inches off the plant. It'll make it more bushy and, and full and, and possibly a nicer plant. Indeed, eucalyptus can actually be grown more as a shrub than a tree if you want if you prune it on a regular basis so leave the pruning till March and April the same with the variegated laurel spotted laurel um, it's got a lovely colour at the moment it's actually producing berries at the moment so I would leave it alone until March, April and then give it a prune back give it a feed and it's back into new growth That's again it. Okay, lovely um, I've two blossom trees Prunus triloba given as a gift about five years ago there was a blossom on them for the first two years but nothing since should they have thorns? Um, well, well, they can have thorns, yeah, and particularly on the older wood. But the um, the thing with cherries is that when you when you buy them, because you're buying them in pots or containers, of course they're they're kept restricted and they're in flower. Many uh, of the cherry family, you'll, when you buy them, they're full of bloom. When they get into the open soil, they've got that freedom of space and they tend to do a lot of growing for two or three years. So it's perfectly normal for the tree not to flower for several years. But as long as it's growing healthy, that's really what you want. And my advice, really, with young cherries is to give them a light pruning back in April, early May, kind of develop the shape of the tree for the first couple of years. And once it starts to mature, once it gets out of that teenage mm. phase, it'll start to produce those those flowers and it'll flower every year after that. So it's nothing to worry about. Again, potash feed in the springtime will help to slow down the growth and induce it to flowering. But it's perfectly normal for cherries to skip a couple of years of flowering as long as the tree is growing and it's nice and healthy. Fantastic. Um, now my, uh, sorry, um, my hydrangeas in the ground for two years fed regularly only produced one flower last year and this year. 
hydrangea. Mm. Not specific though as to what kind. Yeah, um, probably the mophead varieties. Um, again, another plant that when you when you plant it, it can, or if you prune it severely in one year, it'll skip a year of flowering, then come settle down to flowering again. New hydrangeas when they're planted again tend to skip a year or two, do a lot of vegetative growth, leafy growth before they settle down to flowering. Remember, like the function of all plants is to reproduce and produce seed, but you know plants are like. You know, it's exactly like the teenage cycle. It, okay. it takes a couple of years. They tend to do a lot of growing and stretching for, for a couple of years before they, before they settle down to yeah. flowering. So as plants mature, they come around to the stage of flowering because flowering is, you know, they need to flower before they produce seeds. So, yeah. And particularly hydrangea, particularly greedy plants like hydrangeas, particularly if they get into fertile, rich soils or if you're feeding them a lot, you get lots of leaf at the expense of flower. So... It's, it's a matter of patience and, and they will settle down to flowering. Now, I'm planning on planting some spring bulbs as cut flowers for my local church and home. What bulbs are suitable to plant now? OK, well, there's a, there's a whole range and, and uh, what you're really looking for is long-stemmed uh, cut flowers. So any of the Narcissi family are really good. There's a lovely one called Pheasant's Eye, which has got a like a pheasant eye. It's got a, it's white, but this lovely orange coloration in the centre. That makes fantastic cut flowers in March and April. Some varieties of long-stemmed um, daffodils. Carlton is, is a really good ma- variety. Or Dutch Master are both long-stemmed varieties and brilliant if you plant them now for colour. Any of the Darwin tulips, there's a whole range of different varieties, but again, they've all got stems that are at least a foot, 18 inches in, in length. And then you've got the really large flower. Um, all the lilies, they're available at this time of year, so they can be planted anytime through the autumn. They'll flower next summer for you. The alliums, they come in shades of white, oh, pinks, fab, purples. Yeah. Brilliant. Agapanthus, the African lily, is again a lovely blue or white flowering plant if you plant it now. Nearines, which are flowering at this time of year, and again can be planted anytime from now right through to the spring, and they'll flower in the autumn. Um, as we come into springtime, you could plant the um, gladioli, the tall gladioli. They, I think, look fantastic, fantastic. in churches yeah. because they've got that long stem. So there's lots of really good bulbs. Really, you're looking for anything with a really good long, it's, clean it's, it's stem. Yeah. Uh, so daffodils, narcissi, tulips, uh, alliums. Uh, uh, crocrosmia even the crocrosmias could be planted um, yeah because so they, they, they provide a fair splash of colour right through when the they summer come yeah, and they come year sure. after year we're going to have to leave it there okay yeah so 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 that's it so remember <laughs> sorry in the autumn, all of a sudden <laughs> time, time, to, so time to plant trees there's lots of other information on our website horkins.ie and I'll fill you in on my experience in Lionbridge see how the guys Absolutely. And we might talk a bit more. I know there's lots of questions on trees and hedges, so we might come back to that about pruning uh, next week on the programme. Porik, thanks indeed for all of that today. Lots of great information for you. Uh, I'm back again next Saturday, just after seven. Do stand by. Michael Leary is on the way next. It's the very best in country right through until one o'clock this afternoon. And uh, also local news on the way after these. For the moment, good morning to you.